So um, my name is Pete and it is lovely that you've taken time out of your Sunday just to be with us today. If you're new here, especially warm welcome in God, but I know it's rather cold in the building but we're trying to stay safe, um, but a warm welcome. And I'd just uh, like to just begin just to calm myself down, catch my breath with just a, a moment of prayer, please. Jesus, it's about you this morning. I pray that you are glorified. I pray that you, your voice is heard through the next short time and through the worship that's to come that you're heard let us be so aware of your presence here let us strip off all the things that hold us back Let us not just be a type of people who celebrate sport or weddings or birthdays, but can't be free to celebrate now. We have been redeemed and set free. Set us free now in our praise and our adoration. Let your fire fall, consume us. Amen. We're still in the book of James, and we're looking at James chapter 4, if you want to follow along. But before I've left my glasses, sorry, Claire, could you, they're in my bag, I can't see my notes at all. Um, Another good point, maybe, maybe it's a message for not to do anything, but um, there's two sets, Claire, uh, any of them will do, I think. So, uh, how many of you remember these? Do you remember these things? Yeah. I made one just the other day, because I just, I just need one set. I have two sets in case I lose one, but... The problem is I forgot both, didn't I? And it's like I have... Oh, it wasn't that much better. Um, so I made one of these the other day, I, the other day, <laughs> for the sermon for today. And I quite... Do you remember them? The fortune tellers from when we were a kid and uh, just a kid's toy. And I thought we could have a little uh, go. Um, Bev, pick a colour. There's... P- <laughs> I won't kill There's a pink, blue, purple, or orange. Please, t- pink. No, orange. Orange, it's the hardest one to spell for me. O R A N G E. And then number one, two, five, or six? Five. One, two, three, four, five. Number three, four, seven, or eight? Three. Three. Oh, oh, oh. You're going to have three kids. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, not, no, yeah, well, 
That's, that is, that's working, it's working. Let's, will we try one more? Okay, Matt, Matt. Okay, choose a color, Matt, not orange. Pink. P-I-N-K. One, two, five, or six? One, two, three, four, five. Three, four, seven, or eight? Seven. You're going to meet, meet the handsome stranger. <laughs> so uh, I'll see you for a dog walk later then. <laughs> okay. They're just uh, silly things, aren't they, about, uh, that we as children kind of use to predict the future. I was hoping um, if I was going to find one in, for my wife, but then uh, it would say, buy your husband a new bike. I was hoping that one was going to come up. And they're just uh, kind of silly things when we're looking forward about the future. And it's just a child's toy, a child's way of thinking about what might happen someday in life. And it's just a silly thing. But this desire to know the future doesn't go away when we stop playing with children's toys. Rather, I think as we get older, it intensifies, doesn't it? We think about our careers, we think about our, the kids that we're going to have, or what they're doing in their futures. We think about grandkids, we think about our educational goals, our financial goals. And I think planning for the future just becomes more and more of something that we get involved in as time goes on. Now, the reason why I was kind of playing with this fortune teller is as we open the pages of Scripture, we come to a group of people who are planning for the future. They're making their plans and they're looking forward to what might be. And we read these words in James chapter 4, verse 13. James writes, now listen. And it's quite a bold statement. He's kind of shaking them going, guys, wake up, listen. It's not nice and polite. It's now listen, pay attention. Pay attention, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. We will spend a year there. We will carry on business and make money. So there's these groups of people and they're going, okay, what's the deal here? They're saying, we're going to pick out a city, we're going to take our business there, we're going to apply our trade for a year, and we're going to make a profit. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, who is the people that James is speaking to? And I think we've got a, a map coming up, hopefully. And this is where the action is taking place. There. And they're kind of on the coast. And the people, they've been scattered because of persecution. They've scattered all the way up the coast to Syria, Antioch, to, to Cyprus. And the chances are, some people he was speaking to, they had a boat. Now, I'm not talking a luxury yacht, but it, this is a, a cargo boat. They were sea merchants. And they would buy things in the area that were plentiful. And they would buy them cheap, and then they would move around the coast, and they would sell them. Maybe things like almonds or grapes. And they'd ship them to another region in the Roman Empire, sell them at a profit in that place. And so, we have these people who are saying, okay, today or tomorrow, we're going to pick a city, we're going to load up our cargo, we're going to go there, we're going to make money, we're going to make a whole lot of spending money. That's what they were saying. And they're planning their future. They're thinking about what the next phase of their life is going to be like. And it's not just them who speak like that. I think of the students at the school I work at who are starting to fill out forms for university. Where should I go? 
What university should I go to? What course should I take? What, where should I go for the next three or four years? And James would say to them, listen up, pay attention. I've got something to say to you. Or think about a young family that says, mm, today or tomorrow we're going to buy a house. We're going to have 2.5 kids and we're going to live happily ever after. And James says, listen up. I've got something important for you to hear. And this continues all the way through life. A guy in his early 60s. He goes, today or tomorrow I'm going to wrap up my career. I'm going to move to the coast. I'm going to have a peaceful retirement. James would say, listen, you need to hear what I have to say. And I have a hunch that for all of us that we're in some phase at all times of looking to the future, planning for education, finances, houses, whatever it is. And James says, there is something today we need to hear. Listen up. Pay attention. Well, what is urgent? What, what does he want us to hear? Well, he keeps writing. He says, now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. We will spend a year there. We will carry on business and we will make money. Why? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. He's saying, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Let alone what is going to happen a year from now. Let alone what's going to happen a decade from now. We don't know what is going to happen. And this is the first truth that our plans are unpredictable. We have no idea what's going to happen. I wonder if you have a to-do list. I, I have a, a written down one for school. And I have a, a mental one for uh, Saturdays. Things like... I want to do exercise, I want to watch the dog, I want to watch the football team I support lose, and maybe then do something DIY around the house. And to achieve these four th only four things on a Saturday is such hard work, because the Saturdays never end up as planned. I plan on a Friday night in my head what I'm going to do, what time I'm going to do it, what time I need to get up to achieve all these things, but the reality is, it very rarely happens. Just four things. It just seems as though, once Claire gets up, everything is out of my hands. <laughs> and that's a phrase, isn't it? It's out of our hands. There's a king in the Old Testament, a king by the name of David, and this is about a thousand years before James. And... King David, he had some tough stuff going on in life. And David wrote most of the Psalms that are found in the Old Testament. And in one of the Psalms, he's recording all the stuff that is happening to him and about all the people that were after him and trying to attack him. And there's this line in Psalm 31, verse 15. And maybe we can read it out loud. It will come up on the screen. He says, David writes, we'll read it together, my times are in his hands. Oh, that was very good, reading it together. Wow, a bunch of Baptists in the room. Let's all try again. <laughs> my times are in his hands. You know, our future is unpredictable. Our future is out of our hands. It is in somebody else's hands. 
And this is so important for us to remember. When our days, when our plans get upended, we need to remember, my time are in his hands. Think of the 50-year-old guy. He goes to bed on Sunday, thinking about Monday. It's just going to be a regular day at the office. Monday morning, he heads in, and he gets to his desk, and he gets called into the office, and then 45 minutes, he's walking out, carrying a box of all his belongings, because he's lost his job. And James would say, yes, the future is unpredictable. And oh, for that man to remember, let's say it together. My time are in his hands. Or back to my A-level student. They've finished their exams. They need certain results to get into university. They've been looking at places to stay. They've been planning and planning. And then they discover on results day. They've not got the grades they need. James would say... Your plans are unpredictable. And oh, for that 18-year-old to have the maturity to say, and let's say it with me, my time are in his hands. Or the 33-year-old who is pregnant. She knows the pregnancy's been a little off. But she's anticipating just a, a regular ultrasound. She goes in and she's lying there, and all of a sudden the technician goes, oh... I'm glad you're lying down, for I think I see three little bodies in there. (laughs) And James would go, wow, your plans are unpredictable. And it's in times like that we need to remember my time are in his hands. And I don't know what plans you have for for education, for remodeling the house, plans for family. But James would say, you need to remember, your plans are unpredictable. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, yeah, but some of our plans do go as expected. Sometimes the dating happens, the engagement, the wedding, all goes off exactly like we expected. In fact, we all probably know people who graduated from university with their degree, they got into the career they desired, and they've gone through their entire life with all their plans shaping up. Well, I've got a very short video for you to watch. It's a video of ocean waves coming onto some rocks. And there's something in it that I want you to see. Now, verse 14, James writes, What is your life? You are a mist. You're a spray. You're a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. There was all that hit the rocks, it sprays, and then it's gone. Just there for a second. That's your life. 
How depressing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and James, he might be saying a couple of things here. I think he might be talking about the brevity, that life is brief. But maybe he's got something else in mind, that life is really kind of insubstantial. We've already spoken about King David, and well, King David had a son called Solomon, and Solomon became king after David, and he was considered at the time to be the wisest man in the world. In fact, the wisest king that Israel ever had. And James here is actually borrowing some concept and images from King Solomon. King Solomon, in all his wisdom, had set out to understand all of life, to find the meaning in life. He poured himself into his work, he undertook civic projects, was involved in international politics, trying to find what the meaning and purpose of life was. At another time, he poured himself into education, learning everything he could about the animals, about the plants, about the stars in the sky. When he had exhausted that avenue, he poured himself into amusements, into entertainment, into wine, into women and song. And let's see what Solomon said. He says, I have seen all things that are done under the sun. I've seen everything on this earth. Everything in life I've experienced. All of them, he says, are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. He's saying there's no meaning. There's no substance. And yes, sometimes our plans do go as expected. But this is, brings us to the second thing James is trying to say. That our plans ultimately are unsatisfactory. They're not satisfying. James would say, Solomon would say, it's like chasing after the wind. It's a mist. It's a vapor. They're passing. They're insubstantial. Unsatisfying. I was thinking about holidays as an example. You know, we love going on holidays. We love spending time with family, with friends, or whoever we go with. We count down until we go. I know I've got 24 and a half school days until the Christmas holidays. And yet, the holidays, they never really meet our expectations. Sometimes they're not just as relaxing as we hoped they'd be. They're normally a lot more expensive than we planned. There's always some stress with the airline or getting our luggage or getting the tent dry or doing all the laundry. And even when we're there, we know that back home the work is piling up. And James would say it's unsatisfying. And we need to be careful that when we that we put too much weight on our plans, too much expectation that our plans were never meant to fill or satisfy. Now you might be saying, like possibly the readers of James's letter going, come on, this is a bit depressing. All this stuff about plans being unpredictable, about plans being unsatisfying. James, why should we plan at all? Why should we even think of the future at all? Why should we make any plans if this is the way it is? But James in verse 15, he continues writing. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Let me just kind of break this verse down for you. He starts by saying the word instead. James is saying, listen, Instead of doing it this way, there is a different approach, a different way to make your plans. He's saying, I have a little different perspective 
that I want you to consider. Then at the end of verse 15 he says, we will live and do this or that. And so it's still planning language. He's saying we should not just sit and do nothing in our lazy boy chairs, but we should still keep planning for the future. But there's an added ingredient, a different way of thinking. He says, if it is the Lord's will. If it's the Lord's will. Now James, he was a disciple of Jesus. He would have walked around with Jesus. He would have heard firsthand some of Jesus' teachings. And these are some of, I want you to hear some of the words that James would have heard from the lips of Jesus. This is Luke 6, 46. Jesus at one time was out teaching with a group of people and he asked these people, why do you call me Lord, Lord and don't do what I say? He's saying, why do you say I'm the boss but don't do what I ask? Why do you say I'm the boss of your plans but you don't do any of my plans? And this is the third thing that James is trying to get across. James would say, our plans, our plans are to be second. We are not to be the boss of our plans. Let me read to you a passage that means a lot to me from Exodus 21. It says, if you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no more than six years. Set him free in the seventh year and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. But the slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an owl. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. I remember reading this as a teenager. I knew I'd been a slave to sin all my life. I knew that Christ's death had set me free. And I wanted him to be my master. I wanted him to be the boss. I wanted my plans to be second. So I got my ear pierced. I still wear an earring in it today. As a reminder that he is my master, that my plans are second. I was speaking to my mum on Thursday, and my mum is hopefully not listening because she's 76 next week. She tells everyone she's 66, but uh, we keep telling her that's a sin, but she's not interested. And my mum is 76 and she's so excited about the future. Right now, right at this minute, she is on a plane to Nicaragua to serve God there. She will be there until mid-December. And Thursday I was chatting with her and and she was saying, she doesn't know what January holds. She's not planning to start up her working again, but she doesn't know. She's taking January off because she needs to hear what God is saying. What are God's plans? She's 76. Part of me wants to say, what on earth are you doing? Her retirement 
is irrelevant. She's not planning because God is her boss. What are your plans? What are your financial plans that you are pursuing at all costs? What about your family plans with the perfect looking kids, the perfect looking kitchen? Going after those things at all costs. Jesus would say, uh, James would say, as you plan for the future, as you think of what you're going to do, your plans have to be second. Let's go back to Psalm 31, the psalm that we looked at. The psalmist says, my time are in his hands. If we move just a couple of verses up from that line in the psalm, there's another line. It might be a line that you recognize. We read again there in Psalm 31, which David is writing at a difficult time in his life. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you recognize this from the New Testament? When Jesus was being crucified, he quotes from this psalm. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. The last words, really, that Jesus said. Into your hands I commit my spirit. My time is in your hands. You know, just before this, just hours before this, Jesus is in a garden and he's praying. And as he's praying, he's pouring out his heart to God and he says these words. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Heavenly Father, what is about to be dished out to me? What is about to be served up to me? Can it be served up to someone else? Heavenly Father, the suffering, the embarrassment that is about to be poured out on me. Please, can it be served up to somebody else? Father, I want different plans. But not my will. Not my plans. But yours be done. I kind of in my mind's eye think of Jesus there praying. And he's sitting and he's twisting and turning the earring that he's got. Because he's twisting and turning it, going, yeah, I'm a slave, a free slave. I've chosen to give up my plans. Twisting it, fighting with his will, but saying, you, Father, are my master. Back to James, verse 16. It's quite a brutal verse. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. He's saying that all the times when we don't include God, all the times when Jesus isn't our boss, that's evil. That's evil. 
James is telling us that the normal way in which we go about making our plans for a day, for a week, for a month, for our lives, the normal way we do it, he's saying, is fundamentally wicked. It's evil, it's arrogant, it's boastful. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is, there is a sin which is so huge that we can't see it. It's a sin that we commit simply by going with the flow. We commit the sin by doing nothing, by not exerting ourselves. If we don't exert ourselves, we just go with the flow. If we just do what comes naturally, we're sinning. It's quite hard, isn't it? One of my favorite quotes is, if you want to know something about water, just don't ask a fish. Because if you ask a fish to describe water, the fish will say, what's water? What's water? The fish won't know what water is because it's completely enveloped in the water. And what James is saying here is, we are so enveloped in a way of living our lives that we do not realize it is a sin. This is so persuasive, it's so huge, and yet it's so natural to us that we probably don't even see it. It's a sin. The sin is just to go about our life, to make a plan, to operate, have a to-do list, make a schedule, and forget God. That's what he's talking about. He says, this is a terrible sin, to forget God. He's not saying to break this or that commandment. He's saying, you just go about your life forgetting God. To simply do something, conduct a relationship, conduct an appointment, make a decision, just go about our life, set goals, work our schedule without any reference to God. Ignoring him. James is saying it's evil. James is not saying don't make any plans. He's not saying don't think about goals and educational goals, career goals, financial goals, goals for the family and the future. He's not saying that. He's saying bear in mind your plans are unpredictable. Bear in mind you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow because our times are in his hands. And even those plans that do come to fruition, keep in mind that they are unsatisfying. Don't give them a weight or an expectation. But most importantly, as you make your plans, remember your plans have to be second. That anything other than this is a sin. Can you just stand and I'd like to pray for us before we continue with sung worship. Father, I've wrestled with this myself and I've confessed that
that I forget you so often. Yes, there have been clear moments where I've stopped and waited. And yet, more often than not, in my arrogance, I think I can control the future. I know what it holds. And I don't even speak to you about it. Father, forgive us our sins. Forgive us that we say, Lord, Lord, but we have no intention of having you as our Lord, as our boss, as our master. And that we arrogantly put ourselves above you. Teach us to humble ourselves. Teach us to recognize our place. Teach us to be willing to serve you with everything. For you to be our master. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our master, our boss. Amen.